Hello to all and welcome, however you are listening and wherever you may be listening. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bammer Dude Media. And today is June the 16th, 2021. My name is Frank Huerta. This is Alex. Kenzie, how do you do, son? It does well, man. We're halfway through 2021 already. That's fucked. Fucking crazy. Yeah, right? It's wild, man. Yeah. I didn't even notice that until you said that. Yeah. Halfway yeah, through the quick. year. I think all in all, a little bit better than last year at this point. <laughs> I'd say so, especially now, man. The world's starting to start to feel normal a little bit. Hell yeah. It's, uh, yesterday was the first day that um, California was allowed to go maskless, kind of. I, it, oh. Almost all restrictions were lifted on capacity on a Tuesday, for yeah. indoor dining. And I think masks are required where they're asked to be. Oh, okay. I went to a PetSmart yesterday, and I went to a restaurant yesterday, and I had lunch today at a Greek place, and I didn't wear a mask anywhere, and nobody said anything. Um, so it was great. Yeah, that happened here about a week ago. And yeah, it's been amazing. Just walking anywhere. Just it's, it's weird. It's like It feels weird. It's actually funny to me to see how many people are still not we're not funny to me it's their choice to do so but it's just interesting to see like how many people are still wearing masks even still now. and so, outside yeah well that one's just ridiculous. I, I see people wearing masks in their car i'm like are you an idiot like what are you doing yeah yeah <laughs> what are you trying to prove yeah you don't like to you don't like to put anybody down but if you're wearing a mask and it's and you're outside i mean uh, just, what are you gonna do hey it's a free fucking country Um, You can wear a mask in the best of times and in the middle of summer outside. It's your choice. The shower. Do what you want. In the shower. Why not? (laughs) Uh, The virus travels. Um, (laughs) Slow news day today. I think uh, Biden is uh, talking with Putin today about Lord knows what. Um, That's an interesting dynamic, you know, like. The president of the United States is certainly responsible for lives, right? Oh yeah. Be it be it drone strikes or this attack or that attack, and we justify it for our own protection. Um, but Vladimir Putin is a stone cold killer. And that dude's a murderer, and it's a fact. I mean, it's like a almost a running joke that that guy kills dissidents. Yeah. You know. I forget how many people it was last year. I think it was like three or four scientists that officially jumped out of a window. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> and they this did. Is like le- it's legitimately their, their cause of death. <sighs> they jumped out of a window. So it's like, you know, like we're sitting here laughing at it because obviously it's comical. The guy is a murderer and you're the leader of the free world. Everybody knows that you don't have all your faculties mm-hmm. about you, and you're going to go into a power meeting with a stone cold killer. I mean, that is something, dude. That is something for sure. They met behind closed doors for like five hours. Yeah, it's a bad look, man. And then they, they had press conferences separately as well. So they're not friends. He's Biden's been definitely critical of him. He called him a killer on record recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I did see dude, that. Love to be a fly on the wall in that conversation because I'm sure Putin just steamrolled him. <laughs> you know, he's good. He's really good. I heard a, a question today about 
Um, it was a long-winded question. I wish reporters would just get to the point, ask the question, and then shut up. Mm-hmm. It was a very long-winded question, and then at the end, she said, and as a follow-up, all of your political adversary, a lot of your political, no, the list of your political adversaries that are poisoned, killed, or imprisoned is long. And she said, Mr. Putin, what are you so afraid of? And so he goes on and, he, and, and you know, sort of sidesteps it. And then he goes, you know, last year in America, there was an uproar over the killing of an African-American. And the Americans allowed their countrymen to basically cause a bunch of chaos in the country. And he goes, that's America's choice to do. But here in Russia, that's not something that we put up with. And so for the people that are trying to cause chaos, this, that, and the other, and he basically just took shit and threw it in our faces, brought the whole conversation back around about how we're incompetent and that they don't want Russia to become what America is. They've all, I mean, they've always had to disdain for the Western world, particularly the United States. So it's not, it's not, uh, a surprise what he did but mm-hmm. listening to him speak it was a translator translating his words but listening to him speak i was like oh man this guy's good uh, he's sharp and he knows he, he's a master at spinning that that message to get his point across he doesn't need other people to talk for him certainly not or in the words of donald trump he doesn't need a big fat shot in the ass right yeah remember that remember he said that during the debates mm-hmm. like what are they giving about you about biden yeah no, yeah, I, I, that's what I was just like. I'd love to be a fly on, on the wall in that room because the guy, I, I don't know, man. I, I'd almost rather see Kamala go to that meeting because it's like you're not the president, but like oh, you have no, your no, faculties no, no, no. at he'd least. Eat, he'd eat her alive. Eat more than him. Biden, yeah, maybe he oh, probably would. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. <sighs> she can't even, she can't even talk about the fucking border. Yeah, she was getting pressed pretty hard. Not even that hard, actually, but just like it got brought up. No, not that hard. (laughs) It's not that hard to skirt that question. You haven't been to the border. I haven't been to Europe either. Why? That's what I was trying to figure out is why are they so scared of the border about going to it? Well, because it's a fucking travesty down here, man. It's terrible. There was a reporter just this past week at it was like the Rio Grande or some it was some river right on a border. And there was a literal coyote the guy that transports a human smuggler mm-hmm. you right is what they call they call them coyotes guys you bring them across the border he was literally standing right there in the river waiting for people so that he could ferry them across the border into the united states the san diego convention center was recently transformed into a more or less de- I don't want to say detention center, but a holding center for the many thousands of children that have come across the border. And even if they have family in the United States, they're still being held in these centers um, to process them or whatever. It's a totally Fox system. And the reason that they're scared about it is because as soon as Biden got elected, all of whatever Trump did, good, bad or indifferent, was reversed. Right. And what you're seeing now is a complete humanitarian crisis. And that's why hmm. I'm scared. Yeah, I thought they'd at least go and get like the, the PR picture, her holding a baby or something like just to, to go and to say you go like went there instead of like, are you scared to go? I guess the I AOC know. crying picture at the border. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
that that little photo all those up. kids at uh, the convention center is going to make Comic Con a little awkward. Yeah. Puts a dapper on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe they'll just make an exhibit out of the kids. Christ <laughs> Almighty! I laugh. That's terrible. So bad, I man. It's so bad. Yeah. So, I mean, a pretty slow, slow news day. Uh, there was something that was brought to our attention yesterday that was relevant to our critical race theory conversation on Monday that I wanted to bring up briefly. Um, there's been articles written a, about um, a young girl named Yoenmin? Yoenmi? Y-E-O-N-M-I. Yoenmi. Yoenmi. Park. Uh, 27-year-old girl. Um, she has a really crazy story. Uh, her and her mother fled North Korea when she was like 13, went to China, got sold into human slavery somewhere in that area, escaped through Catholics, found their way to South Korea, and then she began going to universities internationally. And she was in South Korea and transferred to Columbia here in the United States. And recently she was interviewed and she was quoted as, as saying, I expected that I was paying this fortune all this time and energy to learn how to think. But they are forcing you to think the way they want you to think. Um, and that was just so relevant to our conversation on Monday because I was saying that, you know, the kids in schools nowadays are not being taught how to think. They're not teaching critical thinking techniques to the children. They're teaching them what to think. And here is this uh, girl from possibly the most oppressed country in the world saying, um, I thought America was different, but I saw so many similarities to what I saw in North Korea that I started worrying mm. and like, holy shit. That's a little scary. Yeah. You don't want to be compared to North Korea. No, I think we're far away away from that, really. But yes, that's... Oh, she would know, though. Certainly. She could definitely draw those parallels. I mean, and I guess, what do we really know about North Korea? Like, we don't really know. They shut everything down. Like, you can barely even go there. So, I mean, she would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she, she talks about the kind of... She talks about the kind of things that she was being taught in North Korea, right? So, they would teach in schools like math propaganda, right? Like if you have, as she used the words, American bastards, like if you have four American bastards and you kill two American bastards, how many American bastards are left, right? She was using those, that terminology to, um, to talk about what she was learning at Columbia. And when she was in Col at Columbia, she said the first thing she learned about was safe spaces. And then she learned about all about white supremacy and she was saying that the teachings of white supremacy were where she made the correlation to how things were being taught in um, North Korea she said every problem they explain to us is because of white men and she said it's like that in North Korea except instead of using race they used a caste system where people are categorized based on their ancestors I mean it's almost a hundred percent. We were talking about Monday, where it's, where, where, um, who did we talk about on Monday, where they were saying it's, oh, it was, uh, it was the the woman who escaped from Maoist China, and mm -hmm. she was saying it's just like China, except in China it's about class, not race. 
but the similarities are crazy, crazy similar. Um, so, I mean, no big point to make here. Just that this article came out. It was relevant to Conversation Monday and, um, you know, just food for thought. Yeah, I mean, I kind of... I'm, like, really on the fence about it, man, because, like, yes, you shouldn't be taught that white people are all supremacists and that is, like, what all white people are. But, like, historically, we have been... As a white person, I can see that, like, we've been... I guess the conquerors, which as a result has led to us being supremacist, but then like using people as slaves to like build our, our industries and our cities and stuff. So it's like, as a white person, it's like, I don't know how to feel about that. Cause it's like, I personally know, like, I don't think that just because I'm a white person, I am, a, should be categorized as like a racist or anything like that. But I do know, or like, I can realize or recognize that like my people historically have like done horrible things that I think still affect people today, especially African-American people. Um, now like teaching them that and anyone in schools that like we are still like this oppressive force. I, I don't know if that's true, but like there's, I mean, racism still very well alive and it, it's out there that should be taught. I don't think there should be any kind of like, slant to what racism is or like any misconception that it's not around still um and that like everyone has the same uh, like has the same opportunities just because it's like sounds good to say in a free country or like it's a lot easier for some people to say than others so like i'm really on the fence about this whole race theory thing man and i kept kind of reading into it because it's like i don't think that like all white people are these oppressors and racism and supremacists and stuff like that but it's like we don't have a great track record and like you're not your history but like we have to learn from our history and like in a way that your history does define you to a point but like you can learn and change from it but i i so i don't know i'm just like so i'm so like divided on this topic man it's hard for me to like take a stance do you think you're you're conflicted because of your existence as a white guy? I think I'm conflicted because I see historically, at least in the last like 300 years, what white people have done. Whether that's Nazi German Germany, you know, if that's right, white slave owners. Like I, I just I see what we've done, and yes, like you can say that a lot of the stuff in. Yeah, our founding fathers did this stuff so that we could have this country, yada, yada. But, like, did they really need to, like, enslave people and force them to work and beat the shit out of them just, like, to, like, make cotton? Like, there wasn't, like, a middle ground with all the money they were making to, like, pay people fair wages and, like, treat them like humans. Like, so it's like I see I, – I don't think we're terrible people, but I don't, I don't think, like, historically white people, whatever you want to call that is, Europeans, whatever, have been, like, a great – race of people to like model as far as like humanitarianism but like as far as you know conquer conquering and and <laughs> taking over i mean i guess we've done that for sure one way or the other but like I, I wouldn't say that we're a shining example of how to be necessarily well if you're looking at just america it's herself and the in the history of america are there things to be proud of as a white person? Sure. I don't even want to credit all of what has happened in America to white people because it certainly is not the case. But we'll, 
we'll take that example and run with it. Are there things to be proud of? As an American, yes. As a white person, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that there's like a specific thing that white people did that I'm proud of. Well, if you're because if you're looking at critical race theory and the baseline of it is that you start with white supremacy. Mm hmm. OK. It's either you're building white supremacy or you're tearing it down. By that logic, everything that has come up to this point or very recent American history has been the result of white supremacy. Are there things to be proud of there? Proud of white supremacy? I think the logic is flawed. Okay. But you're, you're, taking, you're taking America as a whole and you're saying everything about this is white supremacy. Everything about this is built on racism and white supremacy. I don't... You're saying that's what I'm saying or what critical race theories is? No, 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 no. That is what, that is what this, this whole kit caboodle is about. Critical gotcha. race theory, that is the, the baseline of it. Do not agree with that if that is the, the, the case. And, and, and that's certainly what they're saying. What, 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 the point I'm trying to make here is that I think that the good of America throughout its history, taking the history as, as a whole from where it started to where we are now, that the good outweighs the bad and it does so 10 to 1. Okay. And I hear what you're saying about the history and the atrocities of, of, of our white brethren being in the positions of power that they are today. But I think coming back to our conversation last time, it, 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 for me, what bothers me is that we don't, that we're not focusing on the hopeful aspects, the aspirational aspects, the foundational freedoms that allow for people to remove themselves from whatever shackles have been placed upon them legally, illegally, mentally, or what have you. And we're starting with the baseline of you're oppressed, you're a piece of shit because your history of your race is one of supremacy and oppression and slavery and racism. And we need to weed it out of everything that America is about. And because America was founded with slaves, therefore America was built on racism. And I have brown skin, but also I was raised by my mother and my grandmother who were both very white people. And so I guess I could, could put myself in that pool and I think there's so much more to be proud of as an American and even like as a white person. Like if you want to talk about the great historic heroics of your white brethren, that's almost a taboo right now because that could very easily be like, oh, I'm white supremacist right there. You're talking about how great white people are. We don't need to hear about how great white people are. I was like, well, okay, sure. But do we need to flip it on its head 180 degrees and then base every problem that we have right now on white people and the fact that at one point in time, the majority of them were quite racist? You know, like, do you feel like you have to pay for your, your ancestral sins? No, I don't, I don't think so. No, but like, I still think that like people are feeling the effects of my ancestral sins for sure. And I feel like, Whereas you had, you know, Jewish people who were persecuted by Nazi Germany. Um, I, I'm not Jewish, so I can't really say this, but I don't think they quite feel the same effects today, less than 100 years later from World War II, that African-American people feel 300 years removed from slavery. I think they're still like way more disproportionately affected um, for one reason or the other. But like, I feel like 
we, we can't just ignore the fact, you know, even if, if this critical race theory shouldn't be in schools and like, like you're saying at the base of it, it, it it's flawed because it bases it all on white supremacists doing everything. It can't be ignored that like there is a, a and this is a generalization, but like a, a difference in like your baseline white person, baseline black person for like where on the whole that they like would start or like be given the same opportunities. And like, you can say that that's not true. This is the land of the free. This is America. But like, that's great to say, but it's not the reality. It really isn't. Like, it's not, if you look at statistics, crime, like I kind of reference the same stuff all the time, but like, if you look at poverty statistics, if you look at, at crime statistics with people that are incarcerated, job hires, like they, they had to go so far as to, make rules to make sure that black people are even getting interviewed for jobs just to make it equal. Like, so it, it's, I just think that it, it's, it's, it's foolish or like, it's not practical to like, think that like, we're not feeling those effects of our ancestors still today. You know, it's not as bad as it was for sure, but it's not just fixed because we want it to be and cause it's America. No, I, and I would agree with you to some point. I mean, I, I can argue some of the points that you said there, but I, I, I think the real travesty here is is that the reasonable points that you are making right now are getting lost in the noise of people who are shouting down um, with absolutes on things, particularly demonizing white people. I mean, it's like a, it's like a, a, a story as old as time. You can't fight hate with hate. It's elementary. It's so basic and fundamental to our teachings that, to me, I don't understand how it's not more widespread. And I think those messages that you're talking about, these things that we can't forget about, these things that we must address, these things that are plaguing our brothers and sisters who are less fortunate are getting drowned down by people who are using these absolutes and demonizing another set of people. And it's very frustrating because how can you call for unity by saying that everything is about white supremacy and everything is about racism and you're racist whether you believe it or not and here's why. And it's just like, well, hold on a second. Right. Like I love everybody I couldn't possibly be a racist person. No, it's because you haven't looked deep into it. Like, here's why you're a racist. Like, hold on a second. When you push it that far, then you're not creating any sort of allyship with your cause. All you're doing is alienating people, causing a ton of resentment and disdain, and you're not helping anything. Right. It's funny, though. I've, I've talked to Sarah about this before, and it's like, I'm proud to be an American, I don't know if I would say I'm proud to be a white person and, and like white person is so broad because it's like I'm German, I'm Italian, I'm Polish, I'm like Greek Albanian. Like I'm I'm not like white is such a broad term. Like I'm not like from Africa where I can say I'm proud to be African or Mexican or like any of these things. And it's like white has such this like connotation these days and like that that supremacist, that oppressor connotation and maybe it's just the way I look at the world, but I just think of like my ancestors, like no one in my family was, was a Nazi. Like I actually fled Germany, but like in general, my German heritage were possibly one of the biggest oppressors in the history of our world. 
at least in like the modern history that we know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, like, I, I just think about that and it's like, then I think about, you know, like, like slavery and, and like we got into, and it's like, I wouldn't say I'm proud to be like a white person, but I'm proud to be an American. Like I'm proud of this country. I'm proud of like most, like what we stand for. There's definitely problems, but like, I feel like out of all the countries and places I could have been born, I'm lucky to have been born here. I, I think the solution starts right there is the full stop. I'm proud to be an American. Boom. Perfect. Sure. Because America encapsulates everybody. The divisiveness comes when you're talking about, well, I don't know if I'm proud to be a white person. Like, hold on a second. What, like, like you said, what does that even mean? Yeah. Because you're a, a whole hell of a lot of mix of pale, you know? <laughs> and when, I think it's important to look at like, even if it's not your history, right? But it, it, it is your history, Alex. Like you're, you're of German ancestry. So it, I think it's important to like put yourself in the shoes of history and take yourself into Nazi Germany for a second and think about you growing up in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. I promise you, you are not Schindler. Okay? You're a Nazi. Sure. 100%. You probably would have killed Jews. Nobody's righteous. As much as people would like to think that they hold any sort of moral high ground, you are the piece of shit of history because there are so very few shining lights in history. The other day we were talking about Dred Scott. If you were in the South in 1830, you'd be a fucking racist. You would be on the Supreme Court telling people, telling Dred Scott that he was not a citizen, therefore he could not sue. That is who I am and that is who you are. We even if we would love to, in our wildest of dreams, like to think of ourselves as Dred Scott, we absolutely could not. And that humility is missing. I often think about that. Me and Sarah have had that exact conversation. I, I can't say I definitively really? like what I would have done, but like, yeah, like if, if you if you grew up in the South in, in you know slavery times or in Nazi Germany or like any of these places, like I, I yeah, it's it's so weird to think about like how different you would have been just based on your environment, the people that raised you, and and like the way you looked at the world. And I, I can't say that I, that wouldn't have been the case. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. hundred percent. So it, this kind of ties into this, um, this essay that I, I came across, um, and we're already halfway through this episode, so I hope we can get through it. I, I wanted to take my time here, but, um, it's very poignant. Um, this was a, an essay, um, written by a Mr. Arthur Kessler, um, who was a, Hungarian-born British author. So he was born in Budapest, and then he joined the Communist Party of Germany. He was um, disillusioned and then came to Great Britain, became an author and a great thinker. And uh, a lot of his stuff was anti-totalitarianism because of when he grew up. So he wrote this essay in 1944 called We the Screamers, the Nightmare That Is a Reality. Right? And I want to I read this essay and go through it uh, because I think it's just crazy relevant to today's terms and it's even wilder to think that this was written in 1944 um so here we go there is a dream which keeps coming back to me at almost regular intervals it is dark and i'm being murdered in some kind of thicket or brushwood there's a busy road at no more than 10 yards distance i scream for help but nobody seems to hear me the crowd walks past laughing and chatting. I know that a great many people 
share with individual variations the same type of dream. I have quarreled about it with analysts, and I believe it to be an archetype in the Jungian sense. He's talking about Carl Jung, who's a, a, a psychologist in the 20th century, and he's more or less uh, credited with like um, discovering or or analyzing archetypes. An archetype is like the hero, right? Um, Harry Potter is an archetype of a hero. A mother is an archetype, right? There's that transcends the qualities of one person. So, so he's, he's saying here that he believes that this dream to be an archetype, some sort of transcendent idea. Um, I believe it to be an archetype in the union sense, an expression of the individual's ultimate loneliness when faced with death and cosmic violence and his inability to communicate the unique horror of his experience. I further believe that it is the root of ineffectiveness of our atrocity propaganda. Uh, atrocity propaganda is um, like spreading of information of like crimes of other nations uh, in a way that may or may not be true. But if it's true, it's like blown up, right? Like talking about how Putin is a killer, like you could exaggerate that so that your idea of Putin Russia in general is just awful. Right. So, um, continuing on for, after all, you are the crowd who walk past laughing on the road. And there are a few of us escaped victims or eyewitnesses of things which happen in the thicket and who haunted by our memories go on screaming on the wireless yelling at you in newspapers and in public meetings, theaters, and cinemas. Now and then we succeed in reaching your ear for a minute. I know it each time it happens by a certain dumb wonder on your faces, a faint glassy stare entering your eye. And I tell myself, now you've got them. Now hold them, bold them so that they will remain awake. But it only lasts a minute. You shake yourself like puppies who have gotten their fur wet. Then the transparent screen descends again, and you walk on, protected by the dream barrier which stifles all sound. We, the screamers, have been at it for now for about 10 years. We started on the night when the epileptic Vanderlube set fire to the German parliament. We said that if you don't quench these flames at once, they will spread all over the world. You thought we were maniacs. At present, we have the mania of trying to tell you about the killing by hot steam, mass, electro mass electrocution, and live burial of the total Jewish population of Europe. So far, three million have died. It is the greatest mass killing in recorded history. And it goes on daily, hourly, as regularly as the ticking of your watch. Now, this, this essay was penned in 1944, which was a year before the war ended. So he's talking about the Holocaust before the whole world knew about the Holocaust. Which is crazy, isn't it? How did the world not know it's about wild. that going on? Wild. And he's saying right here, I'm, I'm yelling it to the roof 
that I know that they're systematically killing Jewish people. And I am, I am the maniac because I'm the one yelling it on deaf ears. He continues, I have photographs before me on the desk while I am writing this. And that accounts for my emotion and bitterness. People died to smuggle them out of Poland, the pictures. They thought it was worthwhile. The facts have been published in pamphlets, white books, newspapers, magazines, and whatnot. But the other day, I met one of the best-known American journalists over here. He's in, he's in Great Britain. He told me that in the course of some recent public opinion survey, nine out of ten average American citizens, when asked whether they believed that the Nazis commit atrocities, answered that it was all propaganda lies and that they don't believe a word of it. As to this country, Great Britain, I've been lecturing now for three years to the troops, and their attitude is the same. They don't believe in concentration camps. They don't believe in the starved children of Greece, the shot hostages of France, and the mass graves of Poland. They have never heard of Lidice, Treblinka, or Belzec. You can convince them for an hour, then they shake themselves, their mental self-defense begins to work, and in a week, they shrug off the incredulity that has returned like reflex temporarily weakened by a shock. Clearly, this is all becoming a mania with me and my like. Clearly, we must suffer from some morbid obsession, whereas the others are healthy and normal. But the characteristic symptom of maniacs is that they lose contact with reality and live in a fantasy world. So, perhaps, it is the other way around. Perhaps it is we, the screamers, who react in a sound and healthy way to the reality which surrounds us, whereas you are the neurotics who totter about in a screened fantasy world because you lack the faculty to face the facts. Were it not so, this war, World War II, would have been avoided and those murdered within sight of your daydreaming eyes would still be alive. I said perhaps because obviously the above can only be half the truth. There have been screamers at all times, prophets, preachers, teachers, and cranks, cursing at the obtuseness of their contemporaries, and the situation pattern remained very much the same. There are always the screamers, screaming from the thicket, and the people who pass by on the road. They have ears but hear not, they have eyes but see not. So the roots of this must lie deeper than mere obtuseness. Is it perhaps the fault of the screamers? Sometimes, no doubt, but I do not believe this to be the core of the matter. Amos, Hosea, Jeremiah were pretty good propagandists, and yet they failed to shake their people and warn them. Cassandra's voice was said to have pierced walls, and yet the Trojan War took place. At our end of the chain, in due proportion, I believe that on the whole, the MOI and the BBC are quite competent at their jobs. This is the, the state news of Britain. For almost three years, they have kept this country going on nothing but defeats, and they've succeeded. But at the same time, they lamentably failed to imbue the people with anything approaching a full awareness of what it was all about, of the grandeur and horror of the time into which they were born. They carried on business as usual style 
with the only difference of the routine of this business, including killing and being killed. Matter of fact, unimaginativeness has become a kind of Anglo-Saxon racial myth or white racial myth. It is usually opposed to Latin hysterics and praised for its high value in an emergency. But the myth does not say what happens between emergencies and that the same quality is responsible for the failure to prevent their reoccurrence. Now, this is a limitation of awareness and it is not an Anglo-Saxon privilege or white privilege. Though they are probably the only race which claims as an asset what others regard as a deficiency. Nor is it a matter of temperament. Stoics have wider horizons than fanatics. So this paragraph here is talking about like the very Stoic nature of Brits in this case, Anglo-Saxons being Britain, great, great people from Great Britain, how they have this matter of fact, unimaginativeness, right? Which leads them through an emergency, right? So when a war is happening, they're just salt of the earth people. They, you know, grind their bones to survive. And, um, the author is saying, well, that may be a privilege that white people have in this case, Great Britain. Um, it doesn't prevent emergencies and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything in between emergencies. Therefore it doesn't prevent emergencies. He continues. It is a psychological fact inherent in our mental frame, which I believe has not been given sufficient attention in social psychology or political theory. We say, I believe this, or I don't believe that I know it, or I don't know it and regard these as black and white alternatives. Now, in reality, both knowing and believing have varying degrees of intensity. I know that there was a man called Spartacus who led the Roman slaves into revolt, but my belief in his one-time existence is much paler than that, say, of Lenin. I believe in spiral nebulae. I can see them in a telescope and express their distance in figures, but they have a lower degree of reality for me than the ink pot on my table. Distance in space and time degrades intensity of awareness. So does magnitude. 17 is a figure which I know intimately like a friend. 50 billions is just a sound. A dog run over by a car upsets our emotional balance and digestion. Three million Jews killed in Poland cause but a moderate uneasiness. Statistics don't bleed. It is with the detail which counts. We are unable to embrace the total process with our awareness. We can only focus on little lumps of reality. So far, all this is a matter of degrees, of gradations in the intensity of knowing and believing. When we pass the realm of the finite and are faced with words like eternity in time, infinity of space, that is, when we approach the sphere of the absolute, our reaction ceases to be a matter of degrees and becomes different in quality. Faced with the absolute, understanding breaks down, and our knowing and our believing become pure lip service. That's fuck, I, That's so crazy. I'm going to read this again because it's so profound. 
A dog run over by a car upsets our emotional balance and digestion. Three million Jews killed in Poland cause but a moderate uneasiness. Whew. Wild, man. That's such a strong sentence. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> it's hard for me to agree with that, though. I mean, I wasn't alive in 1944, so I, from where he's writing this, like no one's believing that. But It's happening right now. It's happening with Uyghurs in China. But, but I'm saying when I read about this as someone alive today, I'm much more upset about three million Jews being killed in Poland than a dog getting run over. Oh, yeah, because you know the context. You, like you're saying right here, you, the intensity of the, of the experience of the Jews in the Holocaust is so well known. How far are we with? 80 years removed from it? Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a Holocaust going, there's a genocide going on in China with, 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 with Uyghur uh, Muslims. We all know about it. We know it's not okay, but it just causes a moderate uneasiness, right? If, God forbid, your dog ran outside and poor Dave got hit by a car, you would be wrecked for months. Sure. And that's a dog. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. You know, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the separation of the intensity of the experience is where we place the the power of our emotional state is more or less what this what this paragraph is saying here mm-hmm. because remember he's he's writing it during the time of the holocaust Correct. so you know we could be having this conversation in 20 years about genocide in china knowing full well that on june 16 2021 i guarantee you right now somebody is dying in a concentrate concentration camp in china and here we are sure right Who's screaming about it? Anyway, he continues. Death, for instance, belongs to the category of the absolute, and our belief in it is merely a lip service belief. I know that the average statistical age of being about 65, I may reasonably expect to live no more than another 27 years. But if I knew for certain that I should die on November 30th, 1970 at 5 a.m., I would be poisoned by this knowledge and count and recount the remaining days and hours, grudge myself every wasted minute. In other words, develop a neurosis. This has nothing to do with the hopes to live longer than the average. If the date were fixed 10 years later, the neurosis forming process would remain the same. Thus, we all live in a state of split consciousness. There's a tragic plane and a trivial plane, which contain two mutually incompatible kinds of experience knowledge. Their climate and language are as different as church Latin from a business slang. These limitations of awareness account for the limitations of enlightenment by propaganda. People go to cinemas, they see films of Nazi tortures, of mass shootings, of underground conspiracy, and self-sacrifice. They sigh, they shake their heads, some have a good cry, but they do not connect it with the realities of their normal plane of existence. It is romance. It is art. It is those higher things. It is church Latin. It does not click with reality. We live in a society of the Jekyll and Hyde pattern, magnified into gigantic proportions. This was, however, not always the case to the same extent. There were periods and movements in history, in Athens, in the early Renaissance, in the first years of the Russian Revolution, 
when at least certain representative layers of society had attained a relatively high level of mental integration. Times when people seemed to rub their eyes and come awake, when their cosmic awareness seemed to expand, when they were contemporaries in a much broader and fuller sense, when the trivial and cosmic planes seemed on the point of fusing. And there were periods of disintegration, of dissociation, but never before, not even during the spectacular decay of Rome and Byzantium, was split thinking so palpably evident. Such a uniform mass disease. Never did human psychology reach such height of phoniness. Our awareness seems to shrink in direct ratio as communications expand. <sighs> say that again. Our awareness seems to shrink in direct ratio as communications expand. The world is open to us as never before, and we walk about as prisoners, each in his private portable cage. And meanwhile, the watch goes on ticking. What can the screamers do but go on screaming until they get blue in the face? I know one who used to tour this country addressing meetings at an average of 10 a week. He's well-known London publisher. Before each meeting, he, would used to, he used to lock himself up in a room, close his eyes, and imagine in detail for 20 minutes that he was one of the people in Poland who were being killed. One day, he tried to feel what it was like to be suffocated by chloride gas and death in a death train. The other, he had to dig his grave with 200 others and then face a machine gun, which, of course, is rather unprecise and capricious among its aiming. Then he walked out to the platform and talked. He kept going for a full year before he collapsed with a nervous breakdown. He had a great command of his audience. Perhaps he has done some good. Perhaps he has brought the two planes divided by miles of distance one inch closer to another. I think one should imitate his example. Two minutes of this kind of exercise per day with closed eyes after reading the morning paper are at present more necessary to us than physical jerks and breathing the yogi way. It may even be a substitute for going to church. For as long as there are people on the road and victims in the thicket, divided by dream barriers, this will remain a phony civilization. And so ends the essay. Um, I didn't want to prep it with anything that I was thinking about, but I'm curious to hear what went through your head as you heard those words relevant to today's terms i don't know man like i've kind of just taken it in but um i tend to agree with what he's saying about the split consciousness um i think he's like there's like a universal aspect to all these things but there's also like your individual life and like how you feel in your day to day it's kind of is like what i was kind of like as i listened to that like kind of what i was thinking I love that. I love that sentence where he says our awareness seems to shrink in direct ratios. Communications expand. Isn't that so true? Our awareness seems to shrink in direct ratio as communications expand. I don't know. I, I disagree a little bit and agree, but like I are aware. I mean, as social media and all this shit has expanded our awareness of 
like certain things that may not have been like reported on before or whatever, like has grown, but like our universal approach to the world or just like as you know, also as social media has expanded, like I feel like we're all in our own little worlds and like separated from each other too. Yeah. You know, I'd be curious to think hear what this author would think about how we communicate nowadays, because the way I read this, I interpreted this sentence when he, when, when I read it was our communications have never been greater. Our connectivity has never been greater but by by proxy our ability to hold things that we know should matter to us is so limited because now we're exposed to the entire world's problems so yeah like maybe we're aware more of things but i don't know that we know how to categorize things so that we're attacking problems that matter the most. Well, I think there's also like a lot more, way more opinions out there this day and it, these days. And it's not just like so much like a, like either one person or source, like saying, this is what's happening. This is how you should feel or how we should approach it. This is what we're going to do. And then like just everyone doing that or nowadays it's like something happens and like every single person has an opinion on it and like how you would mm. attack it and do it your own way. And it's like, we can't, it's harder to like figure out what would actually be the most effective thing or like come to an agreement on those things. Cause everyone yeah. is so divided and like, it's just divisive. That's a great point you make, man. I think one of the biggest lies that we've been told particularly are young people and I mean young, I mean, I, listen, I'm 30 years old and I still don't know shit, okay? <laughs> and we're here talking our shit on, online for everybody to hear. I don't know anything. I know slightly more than the average person my age. But if you're under 25 and you've been told that your voice matters, that's a lie. Your voice doesn't matter because you don't know anything. Especially if you're like in high school or even like at elementary school, everybody feels that they're entitled to opinion, which they are. And they feel like they need to voice this opinion out to everybody. And if you don't necessarily know what you're talking about, you're doing far more damage, in my opinion, than you are good. Okay. But pause just for a sec though, because like time, yes, you get the experience you, you gain wisdom through the years for sure. But like my grandparents' generation and we're, I mean, and I mean, for the ones that are still here are still like a lot of them have a lot of like racist tendencies in them. That doesn't mean that they're right just because they've been around longer but at the same time. So it's like this. Sure. And I see, I think you see in the younger generation where I think that this older generation could learn from them is things like this, where it's like, we're all equal. We're all just fucking here. We're all just people. And like that, that's not, on a whole, this is another generalization, but like on a whole for that generation, the greatest generation, that's a big problem to me is the way they look at, at, at the world racially and like over conservatively in a way. And maybe the new generation is too liberal in their thinking, but I think there's a common ground there for sure. And that that's lost today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's obviously like a generalization. There are outliers and there are absolutely very, I mean, there are people 10 years my younger that are, are 20 times my intellectual capacity, right? Mm -hmm. They're just that much smarter than I am. 
Um, but I agree with you, man. I think, I think that with the advent of all these tools for people to voice how they feel about one certain thing has caused an incredible amount of distress and distrust between people because never before were we privy to everybody else's opinions. Never before were we privy to how people felt in real time about everything. And I mean, it's like the old adage goes, everybody's got opinions are like buttholes. Everyone's got them (laughs) and they all stink. Right. Because opinions used to be something that you talked about between friends, colleagues, what have you. And then if you were lucky enough to have a platform, you express your opinion. But because the avenues of of voicing your opinion were less, your voice was amplified more. And I think maybe I'm romanticizing a little bit, but I think people took more stock into what they said previously than just vomiting the first thing that came to their heads once they saw something. Sure. I, I, yeah, I guess. But I also think like people are more free thinkers these days. Like I don't think they're following this white picket idea ideology of like, you know, of like following religion. Like it's definitely going away these days. And it's like it, you're, you have people that are like more free thinkers instead of just like, well, this is what my parents told me. We go to church every day or every week. And you know, this is the way you live. And it's, it's like, I think the world, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Cause it's like, I, there isn't like one right way to live like at all, or to think about a lot of this stuff. Like there, there isn't like people can, we can argue day and night. You should think of it this way. You should think of it this way. But like, no one fucking knows. We're all, we're all just fucking here on a rock hurling through space. Like no one knows. So it's like, yeah, maybe it's, it's, it's like annoying and there's way more noise these days. Cause everyone wants to voice their opinion and, and feel like they're important and be heard, which probably like that's that's really not the case, like in, in the scheme of things. But like it's also good to me that like everyone just doesn't think that like the church will guide me in the right direction or, you know, Ronald Reagan or whoever, like they're the leader. Well, like whatever the fuck, like this guy, the New York Times, he tells it like it is. That's how we should live. Like I, I, I don't I'm glad that that's not the case anymore, because I think like that close minded thinking of the world is also maybe just as bad as this super opinionated world we live in too. I don't know. I, 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 I almost disagree hundred percent. I feel <laughs> like the more avenues of, of, of thought that we are pro- provided, the, the, the more closed minded we get. I think that we've gotten, I think that we've gotten tribal so much it, to so much more of a degree than we used to be. And the tribes are so much bigger, right? It's, it's like, super polarized tribe where it's almost like you gotta have take this side of the issue or that side of the issue and this side of the issue belongs to this group and that side of the issue belongs to that group and it's like we've divided ourselves so much but the groups are so big and um, yeah I don't know man I, I, th- I don't think I think free thinkers are going by the wayside because I think a lot of, and this goes back to our conversation about what we're teaching our kids in school. You know, if, if we're not challenging free thought, if we're not challenging our children to think on their own versus 
think what we think they should think. And I know that for a fact that is what goes on in universities through personal experience and from everything that you can hear that we have gone away from here are the really tough, challenging, hard things to digest. And you should read this book because it is tough and it does explore ridiculously complex, dark ideas. And you should also read this book because it is the complete opposite direction of what this book taught. It still is intense, still is dark, still is uh, absolute or whatever, right? But we, we should read both of those, especially if it is something that is more or less against the grain of the status quo of what everybody else is saying that we should do. I think we've gotten way more into the direction of here's how it should be. We should eliminate this because this is bad or whatever. Or, you know, it's like, well, hold on. Why is it bad? And why should we eliminate it? Shouldn't we know about the bad stuff? Shouldn't we read about the bad stuff? Shouldn't totally. we learn it about no, yeah. things that that cause us distress in our heart. I mean, to me, I always thought that was the point of going to college was to learn the ideas that cause you distress so that you could go through that hellfire and then come out stronger. For sure. Part of being a, a free thinker and, and educating our you know kids to like think for themselves though would be then to like put that thought out there to like not just follow the path of like this whole direction of like how you should think like that. It's, it's like kind of what you're saying is contrary to what you're actually saying. Cause it's like, we should, you know, encourage our kids to like think freely and make a, like present all the information and think for themselves, not follow this one way thing of like all white people are, are white supremacists, you know, but then you're saying that the, all those people that think freely should not voice that opinion and should, you know, it was better when everyone was just, you know, white picket fence Catholic, like, you can't have it both ways. Oh, no, that's not what I was saying at all. I, I, that's how I took what you were saying. It's the, abil the ability that we all have to voice our opinions has not coincided with the responsibility of our words. And so anybody can just spout off out the mouth about anything that they're thinking of, which is fine. And that's why these avenues have been created so that we could all have these broad conversations globally. And I think the intentions were great. What I was saying was that we've all been told that our voice matters, your voice matters. And I think that's a dangerous concept to throw out in the world and not have the caveat of, also, you should take heed into what you're saying because it has more power than you think and you're responsible for your words. And if you're not saying things that are well thought out or that have some sort of context that you've looked up or took some time to think about before you said it, those words have more power than you think. And also they could be incredibly damaging if you are not careful. And I think that's where we're at today. So no, so no uh, certainly not. I, I, I just, I, the idea that 
your voice matters. Yeah, it does. But it's not always positive. And there's a ton of responsibility in saying anything publicly. And I think we don't really look at it that way. Says the two guys. I, I was going to say, yeah, like I, what the <laughs> fuck are people listening to us for then? I guess I, I don't know. I, I think everyone's in, entitled to your opinion. And if, if you're making points and, and, and pointing things out about the world or, or whatever your worldview is and people are paying attention and listening, like you're onto something. Um, you know, we are tribal in our nature. We have always been tribal in our nature since we've been homo sapiens. So like it, it almost makes more sense to me to think that way than to when we made the shift to, you know, like, like when we're reading in sapiens, like religion. And then it's like all these people think of it this way or politics and people think of it this way or that way. And, and it's like huge tribes, but it's like, I, I don't know. Like it, it, to me, it's not the worst thing. I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I don't think like there's just one right way to look at so many of the different issues that we face that can be looked at so many different ways. So it's, it's, it's hard to put a finger on it to me, but well, here's a fact for you. We're out of time. We are. And we are also sponsored by the great people over at gun barrel coffee. Drinking a good smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself, but when it helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it is that much better. Gunbrill Coffee is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across the country. From their medium blend, the Moab, their double dark, the battleship, and even their CBD infused blend, the Medic. All of their coffees are smooth without that acid or bitterness. And now they have their very own hot sauce called the Big Guns. They offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean ground or single serve pods. And right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10 to save 10% at checkout when you buy their delicioso products at GunBarrelCoffee.com. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. And that was, that was here, here. a good combo. I'm down to pick it back up. I'm sorry. I have to be the one to rush us out of here. But That's all right. I'm surprised if anybody's listened uh, an hour straight anyways. But uh, if you like what you heard today, and especially if you didn't, uh, go ahead and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter if you navigate those dreadful waters at... <laughs> friendship nh you can follow us on instagram and dm us there at friendship news hour and you can email us at bummerdude.media at gmail.com that is bummerdude b-u-m-m-e-r-d-u-d-e dot media at gmail.com and we'll see you in a couple days under his eye